I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And away we go, In the Booth. Another week of Sports Talk with you, Super Bowl week. Building up to the big one in Minneapolis on Sunday evening. This time next week, we'll have a new world champion. Of course, it could be the same world champion if the Patriots repeat. Patriots and Eagles, 6.30 Sunday night of uh, this coming week. Already getting the annoying, whiny reporter tweets and comments about the weather and how cold it is in Minneapolis and Maybe they all should be, but I don't know if every Super Bowl needs to be in San Diego or New Orleans or Miami. But uh, for people who do go to a lot of Super Bowls, they say, you know what? Yeah, they should. But uh, the hope of the Super Bowl is what is getting these nice stadiums built in other places like New York and Minneapolis and Santa Clara and uh, some of these other spots. So the Super Bowl is uh, moving around and it is in cold weather. used to be on a fairly regular basis. Detroit's had the Super Bowl and some other things, but uh, now we'll have to endure that, the people whining about it, but uh, should be a great game in a great venue. Indoors, the game will be come Sunday night. We'll uh, kind of get into that a little bit later in the week. Our focus right now, of course, the middle of this week is the Oranges game at Georgia Tech on Wednesday night, an 8 o'clock start against the Yellow Jackets team that had a shot but lost at home last night to Clemson. Clemson playing without uh, Dante Grantham, its best player. Georgia Tech now has dropped four in a row, but we'll get into that one over the course of the week. We'll talk with uh, Dan Bonner, the unofficial television color man for Syracuse basketball. He's going to have back-to-back games here. Had the game at uh, Pittsburgh on Saturday, and uh, we'll have the uh, Wednesday game in Atlanta as well. We'll have him on the show tomorrow. Later on the show today, we will catch up with Jason Stark and the Baseball Hall of Fame inductions. Those were uh, sealed last week, the class to go into Cooperstown here in upstate New York this summer, and we'll do the rundown with Jason, who's also a a big Syracuse basketball fan, a bit uh, later in the show. But we got quite a gift on the weekend, Paulie. We'll get into the game itself, but uh, we no longer have to dig for that old soundbite that we thought we would use on the show and uh, Coach Beheim just saved us a lot of work by repeating one of his great all-time lines. I want to say it was in 2003, but it may have been a year or two after that. Good it was hit. it was in 2003, yeah. and it was uh, at the Final Four. And right, it was so, just before, I don't know if you recall, the light fixture broke behind Beheim and Carmelo Anthony. I don't remember. And it, and it smashed, but it was... Just before. So in those days, uh, this really went on for a number of years, but uh, certainly in 03, when the team was so good, the zone defense was so good. But 03, 04, really a lot of years that the Orange have been in the tournament. You have to understand the way the NCAA tournament is covered and people swoop in and they haven't seen your team. But there's a lot of media. It's regimented, the media exposure. And there's these uh, press conferences that are run in a very um, sort of on-the-clock uh, kind of way. Um, I don't want to say they're super formal, but they are um, kind of more 
orchestrated than uh, you'll see really at any other time during the year, and you've got media that hasn't seen the team. So a lot of what Coach Beheim gets is like people just dropped in from Mars and they want an explanation. This is every year, every site of the zone. How did it come to be? When did you decide to do it? When has it been good? Is it good this year? Is it blah, blah, blah. And so one of these years, and Polly's claiming it's 03. I'm not going to dispute that. It's got to be right there, 03, 04, 05, somewhere in there. The guy goes on a long spiel and then just sort of stops, and Coach Beheim says, is that a statement or a question? Because as a statement, it stinks, and as a question, it's not any good either, which obviously brings the house down and uh, was very vintage Beheim. And then following the uh, rock fight that was the uh, Pittsburgh game Saturday, Polly, we got a question about well, that prompted this comment from Coach had to do with why did Frank Howard sit down in the first half? Bayham says he was tired, and then this. Is that a question or is that an observation? And what, 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 why did he get sat down in the first half for those, for those four or five minutes? He needed a rest. You can ask me any question you want. I just don't want to hear your observation. You can go on talk radio and do that, all right? With the rest of the schmucks. With the rest of the schmucks. So there it is, Polly. I know Brent will do it too. Carve it up. Put it on all these little buttons. That's radio gold. We'll, we're going to wear that out. I just wanted to, people to hear it unedited first. And uh, there's lots of drop potential there. I'm offended. You're what? Because you're well. We already know you're a schmuck. Whether you're doing this or not, lumping a whole group of people into is that one. a question or an observation? He didn't then comment on whether he thought it was good or well suited for either. But there's a lot to use there. You can ask me any question you want. Is a good clip. And then there's I just don't want to hear your observation. So I hope you have a lot of open. I, w- I will there. put that. I love the end, though. I just don't want to hear your observation. <laughs> right, right. That was good. Go on talk radio and do that, all right? With the rest of the smokes. That can be like the, put that in the open. That that can be, maybe we should have a show called The Rest of the Schmucks. <laughs> Daniel Baldwin and the Rest of the Schmucks. Can that be the name of the show? Or you just have the voice guy, hey, this is the Matt Park show. Now here's the rest of the schmucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> We got the, one of the rest of the schmucks, Joe, coming up a little bit later in the show. So that's good. I like that. And uh, we appreciate Coach for doing our work for us. We'll have uh, plenty of ways to work that in. Do you think he would react differently if he thought it was a question versus an observation? It's clear he doesn't want to hear the observation. Just ask the question. And a lot of people like to preface their question with, here's what I know or here's what I saw, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't have time for that. He's not interested in that. But – why was that even a question? Players come in and out of the game. Yeah, like, although I think with the, with the three players that are playing 38 minutes and up, it's noteworthy any time they come out. So that's I don't, I don't know if that was a student report. I couldn't make out the, the voice there. But I think he just was kind of so trying to figure out if there was anything there. Um, you know, Frank, I think, was spinning his tires a little bit early in that game and uh, came out for a minute and then went in and – Still played a lot of minutes, as did uh, Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett, because they do every game. Howard uh, wound up with 36 minutes, which uh, of late for him has been on the short end. It was not uh, foul trouble for him, but uh, 
that's what sort of prompted the question, a little exploration into whether there was anything there. When we come back, though, we will get into Coach Beheim's uh, more principal comments related to the Pitt win on Saturday, a 60-55 to game that uh, certainly uh, took some, some patience to see that one uh, come together. Both teams having a tough go of it offensively. Uh, the defenses were strong and had some opportunities as well. And uh, it was for the Syracuse defense limiting Pittsburgh to just 28% shooting in the game. We'll rehash some of that as we continue. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Orange Women home Thursday versus Virginia Tech. Orange pregame 645, tip 7. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse, brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Jason Stark will join us a bit later in the show, former uh, ESPN.com senior baseball writer, does some stuff with MLB Network and uh, universally respected in the game of baseball to talk of the Hall of Fame class, which is comp- final voting uh, a little less than a week ago, and we'll drill in on that with uh, somebody who really knows a bit later in the show. I want to get you some uh, post-game comments from Coach Beheim following the Saturday defeat at Pittsburgh as the Orange won their third in a row. First three-game winning streak, then that uh, really miraculous five-game winning streak in conference late last January into February where they're winning in the last second uh, three games in a row and and uh, living large. But uh, had to grind this one out right from the start. You're going to have ups and downs. That's just the way it is. We're, we're up and down, and I have to be patient as much as I can be, which is not that easy. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're they're doing everything they can to try to get there. And even the, the games we've lost, they've been right there. They've done everything you could ask them to do. But uh, we, we got to get older quicker. Well, the idea of getting older uh, quicker, that's a uh... – a Mike Bray expression, get your team old. And uh, to do that uh, with young players or with uh, the inexperienced players that uh, the Orange have had is uh, going to be a bit of an issue. Um, It's really kind of trying to season them through all of the various twists and turns that you're going to have to run across over the course of ACC play and situational basketball. Uh, the athleticism's not in question. The skill or the opportunities to d- develop that is not in question. It's uh, dealing with the different styles of game, different uh, difficulties that you're going to face. Both teams uh, really struggled offensively over the course of this game and uh, had... Um, had to take a little while before it clicked in. In the second half, Syracuse shot 48%, and they're never going to be a good three-point shooting team. That's not part of uh, what this team is. They were just 3 of 15, got after it a bit on the boards, strong with the ball, turned it over just four times in the, the second half and uh, had the game in command um, really for the last 15 minutes or so. But uh, and you had to do that at Pittsburgh. If you're ever going to walk into Pittsburgh and expect to win, this was – the time. Continuing on Coach Beheim's comments, the 
star of the game clearly was Barama Sidibe, who didn't play at all. Not only did he not play in the last game, the last game was a week after the game before that. So he had, uh, for the most part, been on the shelf uh, the better part of two weeks and uh, came up with a completely unforeseen performance, cashing in on the potential that Coach Beheim was aware that he had 18 points, 16 rebounds, both by far career highs. Barama was tremendous. Uh, he's been getting better in practice, healthier. He had his best practice of the year this week. I didn't anticipate him playing that much, but Pascal was not involved in the game at all. He wasn't doing what he's been doing, catching, going up strong. He was looking, but uh, Barama was uh, tremendous. I, I still think if he had been healthy all year, he could do this on a regular basis. He's a very good player down there. He gets a little overexcited. He fouled the guys on a three-point shot at the end, but uh, you know that's uh, he make he tries to make plays. Uh, I, I thought he was he was tremendous. Today. He was the difference in the game. Well, the thing about uh, Barama Sidibe is he is as Coach Beham alluded to there at the end, active. He's athletic and is going to have a much better offensive game. Then your recent uh, Syracuse centers, he's more comfortable with the ball and facing the basket or doing whatever it is that he needs to do. In the defensive end, he's not going to have quite the height or the reach of uh, Pascal Chuku or uh, some of those types of guys, but uh, does make things happen. Really gets after the ball in terms of rebounding, the 16 boards. His previous career highs going into the game on Saturday, 11 points, 8 rebounds. Now he hadn't had the playing time that he was afforded in this one, 31 minutes of action as uh, Pascal Chuku followed up a good game with a bit of a dud. Um, he just wasn't that effective, although he did have six boards and, and three block shots. There was a lot of room for Barama to uh, impact the game. And uh, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be penciling in 18 and 16 anytime soon, but as long as his health holds up, he's going to have Uh, some opportunities to repeat that and continue to uh, impact this team in a a positive way. And part of that was created, of course, in terms of the playing time and and having to shuffle things by Matthew Moyer's injury. You know, Sidibe has a much higher upside than Moyer in terms of being an impact player. But uh, Moyer being out just brought things about a little bit differently. And uh, after a game off, Sidibe clearly was a stud, six of eight from the field, and uh, good enough. His free throw stroke is, leaves some to be desired, but uh, was six of eight at the line to uh, to get that done. So good showing for the Orange in a sixty to fifty five victory. Again, it was a grinder and uh, finding a way to get it done for Coach Beheim and company. When you listen to the tenor of the post game comments, it really has more to do with, and we've talked about this on the upside about sports and live sports uh, for the purpose of entertainment. It's uh, because of the the old uh, Forrest Gump line, life is like a box of chocolates and you never know what you're going to get. And uh, this team in particular uh, seems to be evolving, changing, and uh, kind of a a different group one game to the next. And uh, Coach Beheim trying to figure that out and piece it together for the important games. But, you know, we do things that I don't can't figure out. And, you know, I know it's because they're young and, and we just do things that you can't do. And, uh, but they, they keep trying. They keep playing. They keep scratching away. And, 
Uh, that's that's really all you can do. That's all you can ask for. Well, and what it creates as far as the team is concerned is building this idea that by this point in the season, everybody that plays has had a game where maybe he's been the man. Literally every every guy on the team, uh, with the exception of Howard Washington, and even he uh, has had a couple of moments here and there where he can say, look, I, I did my job and did it well, and I don't think you have to worry about confidence when it comes to Washington. But uh, Sidibe has been the star of the game. Marek Dolezal, the game prior, was the star of the game. Matthew Moyers had a couple here and there, and then obviously uh, the other guys, and, and Pascal Chukus had his. So uh, now when you head into the second half of the conference season, and the Orange have just more than half of their ACC games left, they'll be halfway through the uh, ACC schedule at the conclusion of uh, Wednesday's game at Georgia Tech. Now down the stretch here, you're going to need weapons and all of your best and all of your people to contribute. And you can't be super green anymore. You can't be making first time mistakes and you can't be uh, covered up by your teammates or shrinking away from the moment or, or anything along those lines. And uh, so Barama Sidibe is now made. <laughs> and uh, does he come back with anything like that again? I don't know, but uh, everybody has sort of notched their belt uh, to this point in the season and uh, has something to offer for what's to come. This is an, another one here in Atlanta against Georgia Tech on Wednesday that uh, you're going to feel like you need to get because after that you've got Virginia at home and they're obviously awesome and then uh, Louisville on the road and so on. I I got two observations on Barama. They uh, need, the fans need to settle down a little bit. I heard a couple of people call into other shows and say if we can get that every night. Yeah, we'll be real yeah. good if we can get that every night. And second, on D, he did follow two three-point shooters, but he gets out on the three-point shooters quicker than any center I've seen in a long time uh, in the zone, which will help a lot if he's playing. Yeah, there, you know, one of the misconceptions about the zone, we talk about it all the time, is that it's a lazy defense or they play. There's so much asked to those guys to cover a lot of ground. Barama's more capable of doing it. I, I just think he's a, a a quicker mover and more athletic player than any uh, big man that Syracuse has had, or most of them, in, in recent years. You can't be fouling guys late in games, but I think if you listen to what the way Coach Beheim referred to it, it's you know not a completely boneheaded play. It's in the effort to make something happen. And uh, you know if he gets if any one of those balls is blocked cleanly, the game's over. As it turns out, he you know, is is fouling guys and is sending people to the, the free throw line. Syracuse fouled a three point shooter at least two if uh, he did two, and it might have been three times total in the course of that uh Pittsburgh game, which is not a recipe for success. But uh Pitt even given the opportunities, uh Syracuse had nearly double the free throw attempts in the game and uh Pitt is maybe not gonna win an ACC game this year. They are about to go into a, a long and uh, murderous row type stretch so not looking good for the Panthers and that's not for us to concern ourselves with at this stage but uh, it is going to be a long year in Pittsburgh and that's why Syracuse needed to win both the games so that is over with the uh, first of the rematches is done and uh, there'll be a couple of of those to come here including a return game from Virginia where Syracuse put up a challenge on the road in Charlottesville against a UVA team that has not lost at home this year. They've lost only once total, but uh, 
the uh, Orange figure to you know take their best shot and have a shot against a Virginia team that's coming off as big a win as there's been in the ACC this year. They won at Duke. First time they've done that since the mid-90s. Did it on Saturday. So that gets you caught up on uh, some of the things that happened over the weekend. Want to uh, get some insight on the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame class. It'll be coming to upstate New York in uh, the summer, and we'll visit with Jason Stark about that, the uh, newest crop of uh, those into Cooperstown. will be our subject when we roll along with In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth brought to you every weekday by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Good to have you along for the ride today. Back tomorrow to... Look ahead to the Georgia Tech basketball game in Atlanta on Wednesday. We'll rehash it Thursday, get you set for the Super Bowl Friday. That's the week, and we've been wanting to uh, warm up a little bit with some baseball talk and talk Hall of Fame with the class finalized last week. So we'd like to bring in our friend Jason Stark. And uh, Jason, you're back from a little bit of a vacay, it sounds like, in your own right. So good stuff, and back to talking ball. (laughs) I never get tired of talking ball, Matt, although... (laughs) When I was in Hawaii, I, I was thinking about other things. I will admit that. I hear that. Not not a lot of uh, interest. You know, that's not a place you really need to kill time. You can you can kill time in in lots of ways. But you're in uh, Philadelphia, and the whole city is left. You know, to go to the Super Bowl. So I figure, you know, why not put this on a tee for you? <laughs> yeah, I would say baseball is not the number one topic in Philadelphia this week for some reason. That's right. Although one of the Hall of Famers it was a, a long time. Philly and uh, Jim Tomey and and a guy that I, I'm sure you uh, developed a, a close relationship with and can flat out knock it out of the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, right before I left, um, I appeared on a media panel, Matt, um, that was addressing um, a bunch of up-and-coming Phillies prospects, and we, we you know, we were trying to give them an idea of what we do and, you know, give them some advice on how to deal with us. And one of the questions I was asked that day was, name a recent player or players that you covered that you guys should emulate. And the first name I thought of, the first name I mentioned was Jim Tomei, because not only did Jim Tomei hit 600 home runs, Jim Tomey was an incredibly genuine person. And so, you know, his dealings with people like me, people like us, members of the media, were exactly like his dealings with his teammates and the clubhouse kids and the bat boys and the ushers and everybody he came in contact with. And I have no doubt that his vote total, uh, I mean, he just missed 90% of the vote, had as much to do with the way he treated people as the number of home runs he hit. But, I mean, obviously, this guy was a historically great player. And could hit it a mile. And the flip side is true, Jim Rice, that that's what's delayed. You know, there's all kinds of politics, and you would know better than anybody that go into getting your vote or waiting your time and all of that. But like somebody like Jim Rice that was thought of as you know, short and cantankerous and tough with the media and everything else, he had to really wait in line for a while before getting into the Hall of Fame. You know, um, 
human beings are are involved in this voting <laughs> on both ends, and I, like I try to never factor in uh, a, a player's interest in getting along with the media when I vote. I don't think that's exactly what we're doing. But one of the big topics now in Hall of Fame voting is that character and integrity clause, and it's mostly been used by voters to deduct points. Um, certainly from the PED generation, but you know sometimes in some some other cases, some rounding but up. I, I look at it as why can't we add points for people like Jim Tomey, for quality human beings who represented themselves and their teams and their sport in exactly the way you'd want it represented. Um, I don't know how many players would say Jim Tomey was their favorite teammate, but it's a huge number. Yeah, I saw a lot of comments along those lines that, uh, again, accounted, as you said, sort of four percentage points uh, in the voting for uh, Jim Tomey. So that's one. So we'll set him aside. We'll go to the top of the list in terms of uh, percentage of votes gotten by the Baseball Writers of America last week, and that's Chipper Jones. And would he in some way have made a transformation in some of the things that you're talking about there where, you know, I think early in his career you think of him as a brash guy and, and – uh, you know, kind of loud, but at the end of his career, huge love of the game, taking the Bryce Harpers of the world under his shoulder to kind of, uh, you know, show the way to be a class act on the field? Well, I, I think that's exactly right. But, you know, in general, I, I found Chipper to be one of the most interesting people in the sport, one of the most thoughtful, uh, one of the most layered, um, a guy who thought about a lot of stuff that went on in the sport and went on in his team and went on in the game. And so uh, a guy that I loved talking to and, you know, in my, uh, my most recent book, um, you can find, um, a look at Chipper's career through the eyes of both me and Chipper. Uh, I did a ton of research when I sat down with him about two weeks before his final game and tried to frame for him exactly how great his career had been, uh, all the different historic achievements that, that he had made, and just ran these by him and let him react. And it was so much fun to watch his reaction on a bunch of different levels, in, in part emotional, but in part um, also intellectual. You know, just the, you know, like it meant something to him that there were only two switch hitters in history who hit 400 homers, had a 400 career on base percentage, and slugged 500. The other, besides him, was Mickey Mantle, and sure. Mickey Mantle is a guy he emulated. Right, he, as as a kid, his father held up Mickey Mantle as an example of what a switch hitter ought to be. And so when I threw that name out there, to see his eyes light up and to understand the meaning of that was really cool. And that, that was one of my favorite things about Chipper and is to this day. I mean, you still see him around the Braves. <laughs> he's always got something to say. No, he's great on Twitter, too. He kind of uh, chimes yeah. in here and there with, with something, and, and great to see guys. I, I love people that love the game, and uh, you know, to kind of bring it full circle, we were at the Pittsburgh game the other day, and they had throwback uniforms, and the players are warming up with 
uh, on their backs are names and numbers of former Pitt greats in basketball. <laughs> and I'm, I was wondering out loud, you know, how well of, did they do in terms of educating the current players about, you know, if they were wearing Billy Knight's jersey or uh, Jerome Lane or, or whatever, uh, Charles Smith's jersey, et cetera. Um, did the guys know? Well, Chipper Jones is the guy who knows, right? He, he knew the game. <laughs> to me, LeBron James, he knows the history yep. of, uh, of the NBA and, and, and takes it seriously. So it's uh, very cool when uh, good things happen to uh, those types of players, and certainly they've earned their place. Vladimir Guerrero, Jason, we're visiting with uh, Jason Stark. Um, what an athlete And in terms of, you know, we, we said maybe best bad ball hitter since Yogi Berra, if you want to throw an old name out there, but uh, could throw like anybody too. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I didn't understand the voting for Vlad last year. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a guy, he shows up on all but 30 ballots this year. But last year, <laughs> he, he didn't right. make it. Didn't make it, that's incredible, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but he got 75 more votes this year than last year. So, I'm like, I'm, I'm as puzzled by the voting as I am about anything about Vlad. I, I mean, I... There's no, there's just no argument that I can process where Vlad Guerrero is not a Hall of Famer. I and and like here's just one of the little tidbits that I think would get your attention. Right, this would be every hitter in the history of baseball who played 2,000 games and had a batting average, on base percentage, and slugging percentage at least as good as Vladimir Guerrero. So you ready? There's Babe Ruth. Lou Gehrig, Ted Williams, Stan Musial, Rogers Hornsby, Jimmy Fox, and Vladimir Guerrero. Wow. Okay? I think we... That, Those aren't like just Hall of Famers. Fam- yeah, not, not just Hall of Famers, but a- A-listers. And, you know, we could talk a, a whole show or a whole day about all of those oddities and just the whole idea that a guy... You know, becomes more of a Hall of Famer from one year to the next, and and different stuff. I'm I'm going to bring up one name in a minute that uh, you know has a bit of a local tie that we think uh, you know if anybody that I can think of has looked more like a Hall of Famer in retrospect than he did at the time. We'll, we'll get to that name in a second. Let's just touch quickly on Trevor Hoffman, and uh, I think we had a caller. Was it a Twitter person, Polly, that that said, "Well, if uh, you know if Trevor Hoffman's in the Hall of Fame, then Mariano Rivera deserves his own building." I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The gap is that severe. It's kind of uh, not uh, giving short shrift. I think to to Trevor Hoffman, but uh, he got the job done on some teams that weren't nearly as good as uh, Rivera's teams. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to argue that Trevor Hoffman was better than Mariano Rivera or as great as Mariano Rivera, because Mariano was the greatest closer who ever lived. Period. But then when you look at everybody else. Um, I don't. It's it's pretty obvious that as long as you think it's okay to vote for a closer and to have some closers in your Hall of Fame, this was obviously one of the greatest closers in history. And you know, it, it's hard not to compare them to Mariano in some ways because they did pitch in the same era at pretty much the same time and for a long time. Uh, Trevor Hoffman actually had more saves than Mariano. Mariano finally passed him at the end. But it's just interesting because, you know, their percentage of saves converted was identical. The opponent batting averages against those two guys was identical. And Trevor Hoffman actually had a better strikeout rate. In fact, Mm. a much better strikeout rate than Mariano. Um, 
the whole debate here is, do you think closers belong in the, in the Hall of Fame? And I've got no problem with it. And we're going to see next year this time that when it comes to guys as great as Mariano, nobody's going to have any problem with it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We'll we'll uh, we'll see when it's his turn, and and it will be soon enough. The last one, just uh, we we thought, who would we stump for? Paulie over here is a, a big Tim Raines guy, and uh, led the campaign to get him into the the Hall of Fame. And then, you know, I thought from a local Syracuse perspective, there's a guy that um, was on the field here a little bit, I guess, as I was growing up, or maybe he's a, a little older than that. But but Fred McGriff to me is an example of somebody that didn't get in he's not super close right now but 493 career home runs five-time all-star and those seven home runs that he's missing are kind of keeping him from what for a long time was an automatic milestone and I think we can say pretty certainly he was not a juicer yeah you know I've done a lot of research on Fred McGriff and I voted for him in the past. I, I, I ran out of room on a really overstuffed ballot this year <laughs> to vote for him and that really disappointed me. But I think you could make a case that Fred McGriff was the single biggest victim of the PED era. Um, I actually wrote about this. Um, you can find it on my Facebook page and talked about it a little bit on MLB Network a couple weeks ago. Fred McGriff over a 15-year period, had virtually the same year, the same career. It just went on and on and on every single year like a metronome. Here was the difference. The first five years of those 15 years were pre-steroid era. And so in in those five years, he was leading the league in home runs every year. He was among the league leaders in uh, in slugging every year. He was one of the greatest, most feared hitters in baseball every single year. Then, uh, in 1993, the numbers exploded. His numbers stayed the same. So instead of leading the league in homers, he'd finished like 30th. <laughs> instead of leading the league in slugging, he finished like 32nd. And he was having exactly the same season. Um, and I really feel for him. It really hurt me that I wasn't able to find room for him on my ballot. But I think one of the things that's going to happen next year is we didn't just have four players elected. Um, we had four players who got an enormous vote total elected. Um, Chipper, well, Vlad, certainly the top Tony three were all in the 90s. 90% yeah. of all ballots. Yeah. And Trevor was one vote shy of 80%. A lot of ballot space is going to open up next year in an age where more voters are voting for 10 players, all 10, than have ever voted in the past. So I think that's going to benefit Fred, but he's just hes just so far from election that he's, he's got a way better shot with one of the veterans committees than he has getting elected next year. If he triples, triples his vote total, it still wouldn't be quite enough. Yeah, he was uh, 19% this year, and Maybe he gets in the way the you know Jack Morris and Alan Trammell and and those guys uh, did for the future. All right, we're going right. to leave leave you with this one, uh, Jason. The uh, I was trying to come up with a good, strange but true for you for Syracuse basketball. <laughs> Baramas yeah. Barama Sidibe is eighteen points. Okay, more. The, he had more points on Saturday than he had in the previous two months of real time. <laughs> Sixteen. Pretty good. He had 16 points in 10 <laughs> games. Say, you're not going to see that happen a whole lot in your esteemed broadcasting uh, career, no. Matt Park. He played uh, 31 minutes Saturday, and in the previous 
five games for the team, one of which was a DNP for him. He had 32 minutes, four points. That, that's amazing. Like, that's sports. I was doing those things earlier this year on Pascal Chukwu's free throws. Well, yeah, now he's making a lot of them, so he's got that going for him. Yeah, he does, he does. But the, uh, there's, there's lots of good, useless information coming out of the center position at Syracuse. Well, we got a lot of airtime to fill, Jay, so we, 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 find, uh, we find some use for it. So <laughs> next next time, you know, you're you're just kind of daydreaming on the, the Shays Lounge out there in Hawaii, if you want to dig up a few nuggets for us, we'll be happy to take them. <laughs> All right, but I get to go to the sit in the uh, Shays Lounge in Hawaii you in order to look for them? Absolutely. That's a good place to look. It's one of the best places. If, even if you don't find any there, you're there. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no snorkel gear required. Either. I, I love it. Good stuff. Be well, okay? Great to talk to you, man. Thanks. Love it. Jason Stark, great stuff on baseball as always. And uh, he kind of just goes back down the street there and walking down Broad Street in Philadelphia. And uh, not a lot going on baseball-wise this week for the Phillies and company as the Eagles are off to the Super Bowl. Back for us to wrap it up. Do we care with Joe coming up? We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care Patriots quarterback Tom Brady made weekly appearances on a Boston-area radio station, but that appears to be over. Brady cut short his interview this morning after learning one of the hosts called his five-year-old daughter, quote, an annoying little pissant. They kid told me that someone had made a comment about my daughter or something yes, like that. Yes, yeah, you, we were, Tom, we were just talking about it. It was Alex Reamer, and you are, you can, we, Jerry and I talked about it Friday. It was a stupid thing to say. We destroyed him for saying it. You, you can say whatever you like. Go ahead. Well, I think that, um, you know, I've tried to come on this show for many years with um, and showed you guys a lot of respect. Um, I've always tried to come on and, you know, do a good job for you guys. So, um, you know, it's very disappointing when you hear that, certainly with my daughter or any child, um, you know, they certainly don't deserve that. So, oh, no, no, Tom, no, no, no question. As, yeah, as I so said, Jerry, Jerry and I yeah. talked about it on Friday. Stupid thing to say. He was suspended for it. He should be. There are certain things I think you understand as a professional athlete. You're going to be criticized for what you do or on or off the field as an individual. But for a kid to be criticized is, is unbelievably stupid. There's, there's no defense for it. Yeah. So, um, all obviously evaluate whether i want to come on this show again so i i really don't have much to say this morning that's fine um i understand so that's totally fine i will uh maybe i'll speak with you guys uh, some other time absolutely so fine have, we understand all right tom Thanks. you too all right so just to clarify these were not the host it was another host named uh, alex reamers on a different show this is uh kirk and callahan uh in the morning where he has regular uh paid appearances uh, uh weekly and uh so it's not quite the way this was originally billed as, you know, angrily hung up. But still, they did something stupid. They've suspended the guy. This guy was on his way to the Super Bowl. May have already been there as a young reporter. Uh, not going to cover his first uh, Super Bowl. and might not cover much else at uh, EEI. So uh, kind of a stupid thing, and Brady dealt with it. Reamer got reamed. Yes. Seems like the obvious headline. UFC fighter Ronda Rousey joining WWE. She uh, signed a contract with the company after appearing at last night's Royal Rumble event. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> That's I like that. Yeah. And Major League Baseball says Cleve, the uh, Cleveland Indians will remove the Chief Wahoo logo from the uniform starting in the 2019 season. The only thing I don't get on this is what takes so long. I understand that teams, you know, build their marks and spend a lot of time on it and whatever. And I'm not one to get offended 
by the fact this logo exists in the first place, but some are. And if you're going to make a change, just do it. They, they already can at least more emphasize the block C and some other marks that they have. They don't need to wait a whole full other season. Uh, you know, maybe there's some things where they need to get it out. It's already been integrated in, in various stuff where they're trying to get it um, away and out of the stadium and, and what have you. But it seems like this should have already been in motion. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first sight. The uh, Fred McGriff home run numbers, they're Jason Stark right on the money. Literally like between 35 and 37 home runs every year for an eight-year stretch. That's back when that used to be a lot of home runs. And uh, now it's not. The game has changed and the players changed there for a while. And so uh, interesting case, but uh, would not be super optimistic about his chances. Back tomorrow we'll talk basketball with Dan Bonner, who's had the Pitt game. We'll have the Georgia Tech game as well. It's in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.